Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me. And we have a lot to get into today. The Celtics, they picked up their 16th straight win on Monday night in Dallas. I sit down with NBC Sports Boston's A. Sherrod Blakely, the Celtics insider. Uh, for uh, the network, and we talk all about this streak, where Boston's at, and is there even a possibility that Gordon Hayward could return at the end of the season? A little bit later on, Billy King, the former general manager of the Nets and Sixers, he joins me. We talk about the Clippers, their woes, the Cavaliers, where they're at, all that more with Billy King a little bit later in the pod. So stick around, all that more coming up right now. This is the Vertical Podcast, hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring in our exposure. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. Joining me now on the podcast, and it's an opportune time for this. A. Sherrod Blakely, <laughs> Celtics insider, NBC Boston. And we're recording this um, an hour after the Celtics picked up their 16th win in a row, Sherrod. I know that when Gordon Hayward went down, you anticipated 
all this. Oh, all absolutely. This, uh, this Put happened. all chips all in, went to Vegas. You know, kids' college fund is paid for tenfold. This over. is incredible. Oh my gosh. This, this, I can't, and you've been covering the NBA for a long time. I can't remember something happening like this. The confluence of events, not just, you know, a guy goes down with a significant injury and a team gets hot, but it's a guy goes down with a significant injury. The team was building an offense around him right. to some degree. They have four guys back from the team that was there before. They've got two guys that began the season under the legal drinking age, right. and they're just off to the races there. I mean, I don't know what to say. I've never seen anything this, like this. This is unprecedented, what we're seeing out there. There, there. there is no logical, rational reason why this team should be this good, particularly when you look at a lot of those new pieces weren't even in the league last year. And I'm not just talking about the guys that came through the draft. I'm talking about guys like Shane Larkin, who literally was not in the league last year. They're finding ways to get the most out of guys in very opportune situations. And there's really no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, it's just that Brad Stevens, he's, I mean, he really has been like a savant out there, knowing when he needs to play a guy like Shimmy Ojale, when to play a guy like Shane Larkin, when to pull back the minutes on a guy like Marcus Morris, when to let Kyrie Irving do what Kyrie Irving is great at doing. He has found all the right buttons to push. And this team, uh, it seems that they enjoy increasing the degree of difficulty in terms of winning. I mean, the double-digit deficits that they, ha- that they get down, it's one thing against Golden State, but Atlanta, come on. I mean, you know, and just some of the other really not-so-great teams that they found themselves fighting their way back from. And tonight was another example of that. Dallas, uh, they had a great win the other night, but they're still a bad team. You don't get down big against them, even if it's on, on their floor. Let's peel back a couple of layers of this team. Kyrie Irving came to the Celtics with a reputation as a great scorer, uh, a clutch performer in the playoffs, an NBA champion, obviously. But the question I got most frequently when I talked to people around the league was, is he a franchise player? Do you, do you make, is he the number one guy, it's that, that old you know, adage, is he the number one guy on a championship winning team? Now, it's only been a month, but he looks like an evolved player, an efficient player, a more efficient player than he was during his time in Cleveland. A guy that's embraced being the face of a franchise, the Mm. number one option on the team. A guy that has embraced a leadership role uh, on this team. Did you have any questions about Kyrie coming in? And if you did, how has he answered them? Well, the the biggest question I had with Kyrie from the very beginning was whether or not him and Brad Stevens could get on the same page. Brad is all about ball movement. He's all about making sure that ball keeps humming, keeps popping. And Kyrie, as we know, is at his best when he has the ball in his hands. Uh, but in talking with people who've worked with him, like Mike Brown, for example, him and I sat down uh, about a week or so ago and talked you know, extensively about Kyrie. And he said the one thing about Kyrie that he's seeing now is growth in every single phase of his game. And he said, and he started seeing that really last year when he was in Cleveland. Uh, people don't understand how hard it is to play with LeBron James. And when you look at the numbers that Kyrie put up, I mean, the guy averaged almost, what, 25.6 assists as the number two guy with the greatest player in the game. And so, when you know, in our, my conversation with Mike Brown, which will be on NBC Sports uh, Boston.com later this week, he talks about how that was his clear as day signal that this guy is ready to do whatever he has to do to be a leader of his own team. He has that in him. It's just a matter of him getting with the right coach, right system, right situation. And when Mike found out, like we all did, that he was coming to Boston, he was like, that's it. He's going to be great there. And I had my doubts just because when I think of Kyrie Irving, I think of the ball stopper. 
the guy that doesn't defend. And that guy didn't make the trip to Boston. I don't know what happened to that guy, but I'm glad he's not around because the Kyrie Irving that we're seeing in Boston is everything that you thought he had the potential to be and now is coming to fruition. He's a sharp passer. I don't know if I'd call him a always a willing passer right. because he does like to, but when he passes it, he's got that kind of playground mm-hmm. court vision. Like he can see out of every 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 inch of his eye, mm-hmm. and he makes some brilliant looks. And that's been important too because guys in look one thing about Brad's offense too. Like he is big on ball movement. But last year when Isaiah had it going, he'd be like, "It go, just, yeah, just go, man, just, just go. go high screen. You just do, go do mm-hmm. your thing." Um, it's important not to, and you've heard Brad yell this from the sideline periodically, don't stand around and watch Kyrie. I think Kyrie's done a good job making sure that guys aren't just standing around and watching him, getting guys involved in that early offense and taking over like he did against Dallas. They needed him against Dallas. They did, absolutely. And, And it was great that they recognized that, didn't try to fight it, knew that Brad's system, as great as it is, they're going to come nights where you need that alpha. You need that one guy to put the entire crew on his back and say, guys, hold on. I got this. And Kyrie has that ability. And it, it was great to see him finally have a night where it was needed. They recognized the need and it was embraced. Uh, but the one thing about Kyrie that I, I'm still uh, I'm still kind of learning to accept is that he's not as selfish a player as I thought he'd be. Uh, he loves to score and he has the ability to score. And, and when you listen to him talk, he drops little hints every now and then to to talk about how, you know, it, not so long ago, I would have tried to get 40 when I knew I was close. And the 47 that he dropped, you never felt like he was really being selfish about it. You always felt that it was either in the flow of the offense or he recognized, I need to take over and make this happen uh, for me or drop an assist. And that's the thing about it. He had six assists. Yeah. I mean, how many guys can have that type of scoring night and still – and of those six assists, there are probably three or four others, you know, passes to Marcus Smart, no disrespect, that he probably would have had a double-double. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the young guys who have been – if Kyrie's the, the number one story with the Celtics, the young guys are right there at 1A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Tatum, 19 years old, third pick in the draft. Um, it, you know, they came in with everybody wondering, would he be better than Markel Fultz? Well, mm-hmm. at this point, he's significantly better because Markel's yeah. not playing. But right. he's also been a starter for every game with this team. He's playing right around 30 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. And even in games he struggles in, like the game against Golden State, Brad Stevens has him in in the fourth quarter of these games. What's impressed you or, or even, I guess, surprised you about Tatum? His defense. Uh, I... I thought that he could score. I knew he was going to be able to score. I didn't think he'd be able to score like this this quickly, but his defense from top to bottom is is just amazing. Uh, he understands his length. He utilizes his length effectively. Uh, he is able to defend without fouling, which is to me is one of the biggest mind-blowing aspects of his game. Because guys that come into the league, and you know this, Chris, they, they don't defend. And they, they want to defend, they try to defend, but they always wind up fouling. And, you know, I... I you know, when we were talking earlier, I mean, I do believe that he has the potential to be a young Kawhi Leonard with his ability to defend at a high level and that offensive skill set. When you look at where Kawhi was when he first got to the league, he wasn't this advanced at, at either end of the floor. Uh, but like Ka- like Kawhi, Jason is benefiting from having guys around him who've been there, done that. I mean, Kawhi had Timmy, you know, uh, Tony and, and Manu, and he's got Al. He's got Kyrie and, you know, Gordon, you know, who's not on the floor, but certainly is involved. Uh, So he's 
he's reaping the benefits of having that experience, and he plays with such a high level of intelligence. Uh, there are little things that he does that you, they don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Just being able to get in position to get a rebound, uh, which, you know, you look at the game against Dallas, he had nine rebounds. He had four in overtime. So he clearly understands the moment when he needs to rise to the moment and make things happen for the Celtics team, and it's not always with his scoring. It's an interesting comparison with Kawhi. I think Kawhi was physically stronger I'd when agree. he came into the league because he was a power forward at San right. Diego State. He, right. he had to come down. But where, where I hope there's a comparison is the work ethic. Kawhi mm-hmm. Leonard doesn't do endorsements, right. doesn't do commercials. Not to say Jay State has to avoid those at all costs, but right. Kawhi Leonard is a singularly focused It is player, about the game. Period. All about the game mm-hmm. with him. If Jason Tatum has that, I can see him developing into his own version of Kawhi. He's mm-hmm. longer right. uh, than Kawhi is. He seems to have uh, comparable instincts on that end of the floor. He's far more advanced offensively. I mean, mm-hmm. Kawhi... It took years of kind of like just hammering yeah. out because he was a four at San Diego State. Exactly, right. he came in a crappy three point shooter. He right. developed one of the best uh, in the league. I think Tatum has the you know we hear the Pierce comparison a lot mm. with Tatum because of the footwork and, right. and that that I can see. I mean, if he can become I mean, like we're we're now branding a guy Paul Pierce on Paul offense, Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard Paul defense. Pierce. Let's we, just get him a jacket for the Hall of Fame today. It's late at night, Sherrod. <laughs> we do the, we're doing this late at night. We apologize to people for uh, for making the being a little bit too hyperbolic, but. He, he clearly has star potential. He clearly yeah. has it all written all over. And we'll Without get to question. Jalen Brown in a minute, but, I mean, offensively, I can see uh, a stretch four type developing yeah. in him because of his size and his length who could just terrorize people in the same way kind of like that Durant did in the early right. years offensively. Play at the nail, uh, you know, just shoot over guys. He right. just looks so comfortable out there on the floor, which is remarkable for a kid still in his teens. And the crazy part is that there's a potential for him to actually grow yeah. still. I mean, we saw that with Giannis Antetokounmpo. We saw it with Kevin Durant. You know, he comes ben in. Simmons ben Simmons brought it up. Ben Simmons, he's got a little more length to him. And so that makes him ridiculously scary. If you're talking about a guy who could potentially be in a couple of years, 6'10", 6'11", uh, with that skill set, that footwork, that instinct defensively, I mean, my goodness. So Brad Stevens said in the summer that he wanted Jalen Brown to be a lockdown defender. He's come back and I don't know if I call him a lockdown defender yet, but a very good defender Mm -hmm. who has emerged as a a real second, third option for this team Mm -hmm. offensively. I mean, I've been really impressed really from the first game, Sherrod, of Jalen wanting the ball, like looking for a shot. Doesn't always make it, but the shot, the perimeter game is starting to come along. And with his athleticism, He's got a high ceiling too offensively. Probably yeah. not as high as Tatum, right. but he's got a high ceiling offensively while they're having the potential to be a more physical defensive player. Yeah, I mean, he, to me, Jalen is the silver lining that you point to when you look at Gordon Hayward's injury. Uh, no one, I think, has taken advantage of that situation more than Jalen Brown. He has solidified himself as a starter, not only on his team, but I think as a starter in his league. He has shown the kind of growth that you want in a young guy uh, by putting in the work. And, and Maybe most important, uh, he's fearless. I mean, this is a guy, first start in his career was against LeBron James and dropped 19 on him and showed no fear. Uh, this is a guy against, you know, we've seen him time and time again take big shots. We've seen him struggle mightily in games, and yet in the fourth quarter, he has no hesitation to raise up. That is not something that just happens. You have to have something within you that gives you the sense that, I don't give a damn what my numbers are right now. I'm going to make plays. I'm going to help my team win, whether it's scoring, defense, rebounding, whatever. And I don't know if we would have seen 
it to this extent if Gordon were around because his minutes would be fewer, his opportunities would be less. Uh, and there's no telling if that confidence would have been able to kind of manifest itself. So it's going to be really interesting next season when the Celtics have these two young studs in Jalen and Jason who I clearly – are very comfortable playing 30-plus minutes a night, and now you've got Gordon, you've got to integrate back into the mix, who should expect to play 30-some-odd minutes a night. I was gonna and s- I'm telling you, it's, it's the pro- it is, this is what happens when... This is the kind of problem that if you're Danny Ainge, you can't help but smile about. I've got so much talent. I've got to figure out how to bring along these two budding all-stars to work with my current all-star with my four-time all-star who who's 25 years old and my veteran in the middle who's a four-time I mean the rich got richer it's it's too early to even have this discussion but what do you where do you incorporate Hayward back into I, I'm I telling you like Chris I have been like, thinking about this way more than I need these guys are going to get better and what, better but this is what happens when you're covering a team that wins 16 games in a row your brain starts going in a bunch of places that it has no business going to because you're sick and tired of talking about them coming from behind winning a game Rinse, recycle, repeat. That's kind of been their narrative all season. Uh, but that's, but, but again, that's a problem that we can <laughs> deal with down the road. Well, but it is going to be an issue, though. The one area where you can see Hayward slipping right back in is, is part of the reason this team is so good defensively this year is because they play positionless basketball. Yeah. Because, you know, Brown shifts between the two and the three, mm-hmm. Tatum the three and the four. Hayward, when he comes back, two, three, maybe sometimes four spot duty. Uh, really, outside of Kyrie, everybody plays multiple positions on this team and and look it, it, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the evolution of the nba like right. the, the trends you know whether it's milwaukee with what they're doing with length in right. san antonio they evolve over the years the trends are hard to pick up on until they're right on top of you mm-hmm. boston the last couple of years has been so big on just being versatile that's why yeah. like any question directed at brad stevens that is like well what position does this guy play like he doesn't right. care right like, what, what matters it doesn't matter to him he can play three positions that's well, I, matters. yeah i think for for brad and the celtics you you have to go back to his second year where they play cleveland and they get swept and the lack of defense defensive versatility was apparent they couldn't switch at all and it was so just in their face that they're like look if we're going to have any shot of getting better anytime soon, we have to start adding guys with defensive versatility. And you look at this roster, the real issue is who doesn't have defensive versatility? Because really, if you go from top to bottom, every single guy pretty much can play multiple positions other than Kyrie. And, well, Shane Larkin, because he's just vertically challenged like that. But the rest of those guys, I mean, they, I mean, you look at a guy like Daniel Tice, who's only 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but he can play center, he can play four. And if you're playing a team that wants to go big, he can he can play some threes in, in certain situations. Go down the line, and a guy like Shimmy Ojale is a second-round pick, and your coach is talking about that's a guy that can defend all five positions if we need him to for certain possessions. You can't you can't put enough. You can't put a value on how important having that luxury is to this Celtics team, and it's a big reason why they're where they are now. All right, let's talk about the weaknesses then of this team because I thought a glaring one emerged on Monday against Dallas, and that was the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marcus Smart is in a really bad shooting rut right now. Oh. Yeah, three for fifteen against the Mavericks. Two for 11 from beyond the three-point arc. He struggled all season long with the three-shot shot, which was, I don't know if it's surprising, but he shot 58% from three during the preseason. We thought maybe he comes in like with less weight. He worked with Jay Laranega all summer long. Maybe we're going to see he's got a contract year coming up. Everybody plays well in a contract year. Yet he's come out of the gate the first month 
and teams are leaving him wide open. As I mean, they he, should. he shot as many threes as he did against Dallas because the Mavericks didn't want to defend him. Uh, when I talk to, to people about his shot, th- there's there's a fluidity problem with it. He, he brings it low, he brings it high. It's, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. I, I mean, what do they need from Marcus Smart? Because even though he's shooting so poorly, he's a plus something every single night because he defends everybody. Exactly. And, and that's that's the... You know, the dilemma that the Celtics have. You need a guy that can score off that bench. It's, it's that simple. But you've got a guy who shuts down everyone, who comes off your bench like Marcus. It's an issue that if he could just get his numbers up to where he's a 40% shooter, which is nothing special, nothing great. But if he's shooting 40% from the field, his plus minus is probably it's, it's through the roof because it is already now. And he, I mean, he came into the Dallas game shooting 27% from the field, 27% from three-point range. For the season, this isn't a four, five, ten game straight. That's what he has done over the course of the season. And you can't, I don't believe you can make a deep playoff run, i.e. get to the finals, if you're one of your key reserves is that big an offensive liability? Because they're going to be nice where the defense is just not going to be that great. And they haven't had that night yet, but it's going to happen. And when it does, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And that's, for me, that's the biggest issue that they have. They don't have anybody that they can bring off the bench that can give them that offensive punch. I, I like the idea of having Marcus Morris play more with that second unit because he's a much better offensive player than I think the Celtics anticipated. Uh, but... Short of that, they have to find a way to get some more juice out of that bench because he's not shooting well. Terry Rozier's not, not doing it. You know, Shimmy Ojale, Daniel Tice, those guys, you can't count on them. Shane Larkin, you know, he's had one or two really exceptional games. And other than that, you know, you kind of see why teams, you know, decided to look the other way on him and not, uh, you know, keep him in the league. So they have to figure something out with Marcus Smart. But, damn, it's so hard. I totally get why. Brad keeps going to that well because the Dallas game is a perfect example. He was horrible shooting all night, and there you are, down five with about a minute and a half to play. Who raises up for a big three? Marcus Smart makes it a two-point game with about 83 seconds left to play, and you're thinking like, okay, you know they're going to find a way to win this thing when Marcus Smart hitting those type of shots because that's what he does. So they're not as bad as we thought they might be. I didn't think they were going to be bad after Hayward went down, but I thought four or five seed, you know, get to the second round, mm-hmm. maybe wind up in a dogfight with a Washington. Right. Uh, they're probably not as good as a 16-game winning streak uh, suggests at this moment. You see all the teams that had winning streak this long. Those are championship-hardened right. teams. This Look at those rosters, and you compare it to this roster, different. and it's not even close. So what is the ceiling for this team, in your opinion? For this team, it's getting to the NBA Finals. I think that is a realistic goal because the one thing that you have to take away from this this winning streak is that they found a way to get through adversity. I mean, not only losing Gordon Hayward, but just in-game adversity, being down double digits on the road against a team that is desperate for a win, and you find a way to get it done. Uh, and the beautiful thing about their winning streak is that it hasn't always been the same one, two, three guys. They've been able to mix it up, and that's huge when you're talking about trying to make a deep player. You're going to need guys who are battle-tested, and I think they're getting a lot of their young guys in the fire right now. That's going to be a benefit to them once they get into the postseason. Are you a believer that Cleveland is far more vulnerable this year than they've been at any different time, any time in the last four years? Uh, because, I mean, their, their second-best player from last year is now a Boston Celtic, mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving. And the reason I'm I'm with you on the, on the finals, I'm I'm bullish on Boston getting to the finals, largely because I don't think Cleveland can defend point of attack well, anymore, and I think 
you know, Brad Stevens, you know, I, I don't want to be just overflowing with gush with praise on this guy, but I, I give him the edge against virtually everybody in the Eastern Conference when it yeah. comes to to coaching these situations. Yeah, I mean, well, when you look at coaches in the Eastern Conference, I think Brad Stevens might be the only one that every year he's been here, he's overachieved. Um, his first year, you kind of knocked it off because he didn't know. I mean, he just literally had no idea what he was doing at first because it's the NBA and he's coming from the college ranks. He learned on the fly. Every year after that, they've been appreciably better in terms of wins and losses and in terms of style of play. Now, Cleveland, you know, the point that you made about their defense, that to me is why they're extremely vulnerable. I don't see anything with them right now that leads me to believe that they can make those hard, tough, consistent plays down a stretch, close game from a defensive standpoint. And they don't have the kind of offensive firepower to mask that yet. Now, if Isaiah Thomas comes back and he's playing at the level he did in Boston, it's a different story. They are a much more competitive team. But if he is just even at 90% of that guy, they're extremely vulnerable because 90% Isaiah Thomas versus the Celtics and a good-to-go Kyrie Irving, mm -mm, Boston's I a better. I, I think it's a pipe dream, too, if you're in Cleveland expecting Isaiah to be anything close to what he was last year. Not saying he can't eventually get back to that. It's not going to happen But right he's away, only though. going, Sherrod, as we speak, he's doing five-on-zero drills. He's yeah. still not doing contact. So the, the January date still seems more realistic than right. anything in December. And when he comes back, there's conditioning. There's fitting in. There's learning how to play in an offense, which is effectively a lot of times, what does LeBron want to do? Right. And, and then we, we go with it. I mean, I would say at best for this year, it's 75% of Isaiah Thomas. And, and I don't know if that's enough for that'll Dante. get you to the conference finals, probably because LeBron was, is that good. But, you know, the one thing about LeBron and, and you know, his, his demise has been so exaggerated, even though he's got a lot of miles on those wheels. But you have to wonder how effective is LeBron going to be when because I think the load that he has to carry this year is greater than any he's had to have since he's been in Cleveland since they've been a championship contender because he's always had Kyrie Irving a guy that can get you 25 30 points on any given night you look at that roster now Dwayne Wade from five years ago maybe um, Derek Rose from two or three years ago, maybe. But there's nobody that you can look at in this day and age that if LeBron has an off night where he goes six for 25 or something like that, can pick up the slack and carry them. And I love Kevin Love, but I don't think Kev they need someone from the perimeter who can actually force defense to react and to do those kind of things to get those kind of points and take some of that load off LeBron. And I just don't see that guy there. Let me finish with this. Um, we touched on Hayward briefly. Uh, the Celtics refused to rule him out completely for the season. As they should. Gordon Hayward has said... I wouldn't if Gordon I Gordon Hayward has said he's done for the year, yeah. basically, which is smart for him to say that. Like, yeah. you know, everybody should be saying that because that was as catastrophic an injury as you're going to get. And I think, I mean, beyond just healing, there's a comfort level of, of getting back onto the floor and doing the exact same play over again and cutting on that ankle over and over again. But... The fact that they don't rule him out is interesting. Like well, it's it, like I do, do like you... that. I I like that for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, because if I'm the Boston Celtics and I'm rolling through the season, and I, there are certain teams that Toronto, Washington, uh, Cleveland, they you're in their their crosshairs. You have to think about Gordon Hayward. You have to envision what would Gordon Hayward look like if he were playing for them right now, and it forces your opponents to do way more work than they really probably 
are going to need to. And to me, that's always a plus for a team. If the, uh, if the opponent has to work on stuff that you know in your heart of hearts isn't going to happen, but they have to put in the work for that, that's a great thing if you're the boss. Yourself. It's a Danny Ainge type of thing to do. Uh, I, and I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, and Gordon is playing his role in this, this, this drama. I'm not coming back. Oh, I'm done. I'm done. It's perfect. It, it's, it's not the same injury, but when Paul George came back, you know, people said he came back that season. We played like 10 minutes a game right. at the end of a lost season for Indiana. Right. My question is, like, what can you actually, even if he was healthy enough to play, it's the same, It's like this you know, comparable thing with Isaiah. Like, he's coming back, and he's going to give you what exactly? Maybe even if it's just a decoy. Maybe even if it's just— Well, that, you're right. You know, maybe if he can give you 10 minutes per game, that's more than anybody else has given you right. on that bench. But I'd still be shocked if he, I, if he came back. If, listen, if he were good to go by like the middle of March, listen, yeah. to, which which to me is, you know, really optimistic. Yeah. Um, so I still wouldn't play him. Off like I still ago. wouldn't play him. I'd have him practice with us. I'd do all that stuff, but I would not play him because I just think the risk that you'd be taking, I don't think the reward is worth it. Like if you're, I think this team is good enough to get to the NBA Finals with or without Gordon Hayward. And if you have him healthy, your chances are better, but I still think Golden State's better than you. And so why would I run the risk of having a guy that I I didn't sign him up for? This wasn't a one-year deal. Mm. This is a long-term commitment that you've made to him. I wouldn't risk that. I, there's, and I don't think the Celtics would, even if he were ready to go middle of March. 16 in a row. Incredible. Kawhi Leonard, you heard it from Sherrod there first. There you Jason go. Tatum. <laughs> Sherrod, thanks for staying up late with me, man. I no appreciate problem, it. No problem, man. No problem. When we come back, former Nets and Sixers GM Billy King will join the podcast. Stick around. The Vertical Podcast is sponsored by Gillette. Let me tell you a little bit about Gillette. They are my favorite razor, hands down. I have one at home. I take one on the road with me. I use it at all times. The tip of a Gillette razor blade is so precise, it's measured on an atomic scale. Their blade edges are thinner than a single brain cell. The hundreds of members of their research and development team have spent some 4,700 years combined working to make a Gillette shave closer and more comfortable. That's longer than the Egyptian pyramids have been around. Over a 1,000 craftsmen and women make Gillette blades in Boston. Meanwhile, another team of folks are putting your blades through more than 60 strict and precise quality checks. Fail just one of these tests, and a blade doesn't leave the plan. In other words, the hardworking people at Gillette never stop working to make your blades better. And now, that includes the price. Get Gillette blades at their lowest price in years. See for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products and is at the sole discretion of the retailer. Joining me now on the podcast is uh, Billy King, the uh, former general manager of the 76ers and the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Billy, how's it going, man? Going pretty good. I'm enjoying uh, family and enjoying watching the NBA season as it kicks off. All right, so let's talk about this. A couple things from this first month. Um, yeah, and I want to start with Lonzo Ball because you know last week – a handful of clunkers, and you know, just a, a rough stretch for him. Benched in a game, uh, three point shot coming under scrutiny. He rebounds on on Sunday and has a triple double against Denver, and everybody's kind of back on the bandwagon once again. We went from Billy, you know, discussing a G League assignment to you know to wherever we are right now. What's been your impression of the way Lonzo has played and? And if you were in charge of the Lakers, I mean, how would you handle his ups and downs? Well, you just try to encourage him, try to keep him upbeat. Don't let him get down by all the 
critiques that come in via Twitter or different things like that. His dad has put a bullseye on him. So now, as, as an organization, your goal is to keep him going, keep him positive, don't let him get too down. Um, and, and the one thing I, I just think when he plays, he's got to put himself in a position to focus on his strengths and not his weaknesses. So, you know, his three points. Three-point shot is not his forte, and so I don't think he needs to be out there spotting up and shooting three. I think he needs to penetrate and set other guys up and be more successful that way. Um, but but I think he's going to be fine. I think it's you know he's he's got great basketball instincts and um, and the interesting thing playing for the Lakers, they're playing with a lot of young guys. Mm. You know, if you go to, go to Ben Simmons, he's he's playing with young guys, but he's playing with a JJ Redick. He's playing with Covington, who's been in the league. Yeah, he's playing with a great player in NB. He's so Amir Johnson. So he's got some veteran guys to sort of help guide him along the way. Did a you know when the suggestion was out there that you sent him down to the G League? Did that make make any sense to you? No, no, not at all. Um, because his his talent level, he'll go down there and play great, and everybody thinks okay, he's back. He's got to be playing on the on the level of the NBA players to make the mistakes and grow from them. Uh, the G League will just be something that boosts his confidence and ego, but I think it's more he's got to go through the mistakes on the court and from the organization keep encouraging him and keep pushing him to, to do better and learn from his mistakes. What have you found with, with young point guards coming into the NBA from college? I mean, I, I'm of the, of the opinion that if the, the point guard position isn't the most difficult transition to make from college to pros in any sport, really, uh, it, it's right up there. Uh, you know, what, what are the biggest challenges for a young player uh, going from a college point guard to a pro point guard? Well, in college, you just play. And, it, you know, there's a little bit of scouting on tape, and they've set up a game plan. And the pros, every play is, is mapped out defensively, offensively. They, 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 they pick a roll, we're going to send it down. On this pick roll, we're going to trap it. And so it's almost like a quarterback who, in college, is great. You know, he runs around, throws. There's not as many tricky defenses. In the pros, he's seeing different looks. And so it takes – they've almost got to slow the game down and trust the coaches because coaches give great game plans and shoot around and understand that if they say on this pick they're going to trap it, be prepared for it and know where your outlets are. And don't say, well, I'll just split it and do okay because you know they're going against guys that have been in the league for eight, nine, ten years, and they're prepared for that. So it, he's got to trust the, the system, trust his coaches, trust the game plan and stick with it because his natural instinct It'll help him, you know, maybe to finish a layup or get by somebody. But when it's schemes, he's got to trust the system, trust what they've planned for those schemes. The subject of uh, of Lonzo's jump shot comes up a lot, and and Magic Johnson said recently that uh, the Lakers had no plans on uh, changing that shot. Now, obviously, you don't do that midseason. That's an off season uh, type of activity if it if it does ultimately happen. But he's he's shooting about twenty three percent from three point range. It's a very unorthodox shot. Do you think down the line that he's going to have to make some tweaks to that to be effective? Well, I think he was. I mean, I think if you look at players like Jason Kidd, you know, Jason was knocked for a shooting, even though he was a great point guard coming in getting assists. And Jason modified his where he became a very good three-point shooter. Grant Hill came in, was known for just getting to the basket and dunking on people. He worked on a shot and changed it. So he will do that, but you can't do it during the season. You know, I think Magic's right. But I think it's something that you'll tweak as in the off season, and he's got to be diligent to work at it. But uh, that will get better because the one thing in the pros, they've got a lot of time to work on the game. And so this summer, he'll have a chance to work on it and then continue working on the season. With the, going back to Jason, Jason's brought up a lot when it comes to the, the evolution of a jump shot. I mean, his 
three-point shot really started to go up, what was it, like in 08-09 with, with the Mavericks and maybe even a little bit before then, the back end of his time uh, in New Jersey. I mean, did his shot fundamentally change? I mean, I'm trying to remember. I know he got better at it. Was it was it an alteration with his shot that made him better, or was it just, you know, working on it, I guess? Well, I think he worked on it, but also I, I think he did adjust it a little bit because when he first came in, he didn't need to shoot the ball. Jump shots. He got to the hole. He was able to penetrate and find guys. As you get older, you lose a little bit of that quickness, so you got to figure out how can I get better at something because they're taking away getting to the lane. They're taking away that. Even with Magic Johnson, Magic wasn't known as a, as a shooter, and then he worked on it and it became more of a set shot. Um, so it's more or less understanding that he may have to, you know, I was not known as a shooter, but there are a lot of guys out there, and they'll adjust it. And it may not be a lot of adjustments. It's just, you know, and a lot of it comes down to confidence and believing that when you shoot, it's going in. Some guys, when they shoot, they know it's not going in, but the coach says, you're behind the three, shoot it anyway. Hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about the uh, another the other team in LA, the Clippers, right now. Eight game losing streak, and you know, look, they started the season five and two when everybody was writing the Blake Griffin story, and everybody was all over them. But when I talk to people in LA, Billy, they they they, they warned me at that time. I got a few warnings that, that this team may not be as good as the record was indicating in the first week or two of the season. Um, now they're the the bottom has completely fallen out from under them. Uh, like I said, eight straight losses entering Monday's game. Uh, against the Knicks. I mean, I know injuries have played a role here, but when you watch the Clippers, what are you seeing? Well, I think what happens in the beginning of the season, especially with a team like Clippers, it's pretty much a new team. You have Blake and you have DeAndre, but there's no JJ, there's no Chris Paul. So they had to change the way they play. So when they, you know, with training in camp, they were ready to go and people weren't sure. Once they start playing to get film on them, they start scouting, scouting reports come in and they've adjusted. And I think it's, the way the game is just the shots aren't falling as much for them. And I think the biggest thing is that it's got to be defensively. I mean, a lot of teams now with the centers that shoot threes, they're forcing DeAndre to have to leave the basket to get away to guard him. And then it's opened up lanes for them to drive. So I think it's got to start on the defense end for them. Getting Patrick Beverly back will help them. But they've got to figure out, with you have a DeAndre Jordan back there blocking shots, you know, I know people are trying to take him away, but they've got to either rotate more or even zone, but they can't have him away from the basket because then it opens up so many driving lanes. And also the perimeter guys got to do a better job of just keeping their guys in front of them. The league itself right now has become, we're just going to outscore you league. And everybody just sort of looks at Golden State and we want to play like them. But they, Golden State is a very good defensive team. Kevin Durant went there play defense. Andre Dowell. So a lot of times they score off their defense. Steph makes a lot of threes. But they will guard you. And a lot of teams now are shooting threes, scoring, but they're forgetting the guard on the other end. And that's when you see teams starting to have the slippage that the Clippers are having. They're trying to rely on offense. And it's, you know, they can't do it offensively every night. They've got to guard some people. It's a little early for, for any type of, of roster shakeup, but if the Clippers were going to do something, it would probably involve DeAndre Jordan. What do you think the market is for, for a guy like Jordan in, in today's league? It's it's very interesting because this, this league now, so many guys are, are want their center to be able to shoot the three. I think there's some coaches out there that hey understand his importance to the defensive end, whether it's Tibbs and you know, up in uh, Minnesota, uh, you know Charlotte. There are teams that understand if you have a guy like that, it, it does help change your defense. And some defensive coaches would love to have a shot blocker back there to change the defense. But there's some guys that say he can't fit my offensive scheme, so. Uh, so it's going to limit his market because everybody is making every seven footer now is shooting threes, and so 
it, it, it's going to be a smaller, much smaller market than it would be about, say, 10 years ago. You mentioned uh, uh, Minnesota, and I got a chance to see them last week uh, when they were in Utah, and it, it still amazes me, Billy, that a, a Tom Thibodeau coach team can be this bad defensively. Like last year, bottom five in the NBA defense. This year, as we speak, I think they're 22nd in defensive efficiency. Um, I guess it comes down to their young guys, like Wiggins and Towns. I mean, we know that Butler is a high-level defender. Teague kind of is what he is. But specifically with Wiggins and Towns, these guys have the skill set to be high-level defenders. And, and, and how, I mean, the Clippers are, look, they're a 10-win, 11-win team already. But how good does that defense need to be for them to make a, a run in the playoffs? They've got to be much better defensively. And Tom knows that. And the, you're right with Towns and Wiggins. It's got to start with them, and Tom's in a tough situation. A lot of times when you have guys like that that are young players, you can bench them if they're not going to do it. Well, these guys are so good, talented, and they've got their brand, so it's hard to take them out on the bench them and say, hey, if you don't play defense, you're not going to play. Those guys know they're going to play. So it's one of those where the coach you got to play defense. They go, okay, yeah, but you're still going to play me. So it's you know until they buy in and say, I want to be successful in defense and as well as the offensive end, the team is going to go up and down because – that's who Tibbs build this team on. They want to play that way, and he's trying to convince those guys. That's why he brought Jimmy Butler and done, make them understand we've got to do it on defense. Jimmy Butler came in the league as a defensive player and became an offensive player. The other two guys came in as offense, and it's hard to change those guys and make them do defense. As I mentioned Kevin Durant early. The reason Kevin Durant bought in and played defense in Golden State because they all do. You know, Iguodala, Draymond Green, and he didn't want to be the one weak link in that. You know. Um, so he decided, I, I want to play and be part of this. This is how we play here. Do you think it's then just a, a, a mindset for guys like Wiggins and Towns? Or do they, I mean, do they have the skill set to be high-level type defenders? Well, I don't know if it was, it's been a priority for whenever, whenever they played because they've been so gifted offensively. Um, so now they've, you've got to change their mindset. And it may be hitting rock bottom. They lose enough to realize, okay, we've got to buy into what Tibbs is saying we're going to do what he says. I'll sacrifice in the offense because playing defense takes a lot of energy, and you may not have as much offense as that. So guys may have to say, "I'll sacrifice on that end," to, you know, um, the offense end to help us win. And until they realize that they're not going to be at that level they want to be, they're going to be a rocky team up and down. It's got to be driving Tibbs crazy that they're that bad <laughs> defensively. Well, I think it is. I know in Tibbs, he's watching the film, he's watching the film, he's having a meeting and saying it, then he gets in the game and they're like, they still aren't getting it. And that, and, you know, and he, I'm sure he would love to figure I'm going to bench these guys, but he knows I can't do that either because then we may not win at all. And, and if I lose these guys, it's not going to work. So, you know, it's one of those where it may take a Jimmy Butler to really, you know, in a team meeting to, to say, hey, we won playing this way. You guys got to trust because. You know, that's what Pop has had all those years in San Antonio. Tim Duncan said, nope, this is how we do it. And everybody knows, okay, if Tim's going to do it, we're going to do it. Uh, Michael Jordan, Chicago, he said, "This is we're going to do it this way. So they all bought into the triangle. So your best player's got to be the one that's sending the message of how you want to play, and everybody else will follow. It's two consecutive years of this, though, that they, they just can't get it. They can't figure yeah. it out out there, which is just amazing from – for a Tibbs coach team. All right, let me finish with um, with the Cavaliers. One four straight, and look, it's not pretty, and they're not the best opponents that the Cavs are beating. But you know, wins are wins. Uh, I guess my question, Billy, is that w- with that Nets pick now sitting in their back pocket, at, at what point, if at all, if ever, do you think that Kobe Altman, Dan Gilbert, that they decide to explore what might be out there for that pick? 
I don't think they'll look at that until February when they get Isaiah back and see what kind of team, because really they don't have their team. You know, they're playing and they're maintaining, but you get Isaiah back, get Derrick Rose back healthy, and then really evaluate what you are as a team and see where your weaknesses are. One, they're an older team, so now they're playing a lot of guys who aren't that good defensively. And when you lose a Kyrie Irving, that was another guy that was a creator with the ball, create shots for other people, create shots himself. They don't have that. So now you're playing Channing Fry, Kyle Corbett, J.R. Smith. They need someone to help set them up for their shots. And when you don't have Derrick Rose, who's not Isaiah Thomas, it makes it difficult. So until they get everybody back, they really got to evaluate the team and see where they are come February. Because nobody's really going to move a piece for that pick. If you're moving that pick, you're, you're trying to get a, a franchise-type player. And so there's no need to try to move it now because nobody's moving that type player at this point in time. Right. The, the the gossip, of course, if we get to February, then maybe DeMarcus Cousins becomes available. W- would you flip that pick for, for Cousins? That, that'd be tough because of the fact that he's going to be a you know, free agent in the year, so you got to know you can re-sign him, and that yeah. would be the difficult part. Well, you, he'd probably go if you pay him. You Max him out, yeah. I'm sure he'd be happy. Yeah, and, and I don't know if, if you're going to lose LeBron, is he going to become the face of your franchise? Ooh, I'm not sure. If LeBron leaves... We've gone down that path before. We've gone down that path, Demarcus. Yeah, <laughs> it hasn't always worked out. Yeah. Um. You, you mentioned uh, Isaiah, and and you know, people. Some a lot of people are looking at him and, start, and think of him as the savior for this team. He's going to come in, and, and a lot of their problems will go away. He's, he's participating in five on zero drills uh, right now, making his way. Uh, you know, through this rehab process, but you know, coming off a, a major uh, hip injury. What are realistic expectations for him? Like, let's say he doesn't come back until January or early February. I mean, what should be expectations for Thomas the rest of the season? Well, it's going to take him a while to get in game shape because uh, he he's been out all year. And then their goal should be to try to get him in game shape and finish, you know, try to make sure you finish in top four, so you have home court advantage, and then be ready for the playoffs. Uh, they shouldn't be trying to get the one or two seed. They want to be the top four of home court advantage and then have Isaiah come back in, get him in game shape, get him ready, don't force him. And I'm ready because you know they're going to be a playoff team, but be ready then. You know, I don't know how he helps their defense. That's the problem. Like, they're they're a really bad defensive team, extremely bad defensive team. And and as much as I love Isaiah, what he does offensively, I I don't know how he, you know, he might even make it worse. Like, if he's not in game shape, he's probably going to make it worse defensively. I, I, th- this Cavs team, Billy, like, everybody likes to say that it's the same, you know, they go through the same problems and you still can't beat LeBron four out of seven. I look, I just feel like it's different this year. It's just a different team uh, without Kyrie Irving and, and with, you know, a bunch of guys that, that don't defend at a high level. No, you're exactly right. But if you get Isaiah back, then maybe some of those other pieces become pieces. Maybe Shumpert now goes more of in a defensive role. Without Kyrie, without Isaiah, he's probably thinking, i got to score more, i got to do more. So now you get Isaiah Thomas, now you put some guys back in their roles, and then maybe you move one of those other pieces between, you know, on the roster, 7th, 8th, or ninth to get a defensive player, or maybe a guy does get bought out, a veteran guy that can come in and be that defensive guy, like when they had Richard Jefferson who played 10 minutes, but he can affect the game defensively in toughness. So get Isaiah back. Now you find out, okay, we can move some other guys back in the rotation, and now maybe those guys become expendable. Well, I'm already on record. Boston going to the finals. I'm, okay. I'm All right. Well, then you know what? They're playing great. And uh, right now, that's a safe bet. <laughs> I'm, I'm making my call in November. I'm, my overreaction of the year already made. Done. That's not you. You normally don't do that. 
I mean, occasionally. It doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, Billy, uh, always great to talk to you, man. I appreciate you joining me here on the podcast. You're welcome. Take care. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to A. Sherrod Blakely and Billy King for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. He hasn't really distinguished himself. Chris is in desperate need of validation. I think your opinion is shared by everyone. So please, subscribe, like, comment. I I would punch him. That's that's just my opinion. At your earliest convenience in the iTunes store. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway.